The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Liverpool get the ball back and they are in here with Diogo Jota! Well, what a finish that is. It's another lovely ball and another really good run. And Minamino! And Taki Minamino is able to celebrate an opening goal for Liverpool. So we're on the edge of another season. Promises to be another wild ride. Do Liverpool have it within themselves to win back the Premier League title? And who will shine the brightest over the next 10 months in the squad? As always, our fantastic Liverpool writers at The Athletic will bring you the Red Agenda podcast every week to delve into the biggest talking points today. Uh, James Pearson, Simon Hughes, join myself, Steve Hothersall. So is this going to be a season to remember? James, you've enjoyed those final two pre-season games at Anfield. Has it given you any indication of the season that lies ahead? Yeah, I think it was, it was certainly the back-to-back games at Anfield to, to finish things off. I think have to, as a Liverpool fan, fuel a sense of optimism. I think, um, I think it, it, coming away from Anfield last night, I think the thing that struck me was, you know, I think all summer we've kind of been surrounded by that noise of, you know, where are the new signings? Why have, you know, why, why is Canate the only one that's come in? And then you see Liverpool field two really strong 11s in back-to-back nights and, and so many players put their hands up and show that they look in fantastic shape. And I think, I think the thing that struck me as well is I, I think Liverpool have massively benefited from the fact they've been able to have a proper pre-season. I mean, it was unprecedented for Klopp to be able to take them away for four weeks. Um, you know, no commercial side to the tour, you know, no distractions. It was just pure time for him. And so many key players, you know, got a decent break as well. So, so yeah, I, I still think, you know, I, I think like a lot of fans, I'd love to see one or two new, more new faces come in before the window shuts. But I, I think the last few weeks have probably reminded everyone that there is actually an immense amount of talent already at that club. That's a manager's dream, isn't it? No commercial distractions. You don't hear that on many pre-season tours. Um, Simon, we'll throw the same starting question to you. Do, do Liverpool have it within themselves? Do they have a good enough squad to go all the way this time? Well, as James says, I mean, I think it's been a good pre-season. Um, you know, far more encouraging than the last pre-season when nearly everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Very disjointed players, unavailable, COVID issues. Um, you know, it wasn't it, they didn't have a good time last year. Um, and going into the season, it didn't didn't give a lot of confidence. But I think this preseason has been the total opposite. I mean, gone from one extreme to the other, where you know the managers just been able to focus on on football. Um, and I think that gives Liverpool a massive advantage. Um, but it, I get it's difficult to gauge against sort of how the other pre-seasons have gone at other clubs. So you, you're expecting that Manchester United, Chelsea, Man City are going to be the, the clubs that Liverpool are going to be probably competing with for the title. Obviously, they they haven't had the time the Klopp has had with his players. It's fair to say, you know, they've had players coming back a bit later uh, than, than Liverpool. Um, but 
um, you know, they, they have been able to sort of increase their squad options more than Liverpool. So there's a bit of a trade-off here. I mean, I'm sure we'll get on to it, but some of Liverpool's younger players look very exciting and, you know, I'd expect them to play a role. Um, my, my concern at the moment isn't the first few months, really. I think I'd expect Liverpool to start well. And if they do start well, you, you, you'd think that that momentum will take them through the season. It's just January. You always look towards January. Whenever Liverpool have had a bad season uh, or when Liverpool's sort of season has unravels, when Jurgen Klopp has been there, I probably should rephrase that. It's always been in January, as it was last season and then many other seasons. So, you know, I suppose a lot depends on the, the you know, AFCON and, and whether Salah and, and Mane are going to be away. If those two players are going to be away, I do think that they're going to need a little bit more in attack to get through that that period. You, you you sounded a bit more tentative than James there. Look, we normally do this at the back end, but give us your, give us your top four. We'll start with James. Go, who's your top four in the Premier League come the end of the season? A tough one, Steve. I think, you know, as Simon said, the problem is at the moment there's so many unknowns, unknowns, isn't there? In terms of, I, I don't think we know, really know just how strong the competition is going to be. I think you have to have Man City as favourites. I think, I think you'd be pretty blinkered to think that that with to, to predict with any great confidence that this Liverpool team are, are stronger than this City team, especially if City still go on and and get Kane before the window shuts. So I think. If I was doing it off the top of my head today, I'd probably go City 1, Liverpool 2, um, Chelsea 3, United 4th. OK, Si? I'd, I'd actually put Chelsea favourites this season. They just won the Champions League. I thought I think they've got a very good squad and they've added to it. Obviously, Lukaku's going there. You would argue last season that was the sort of the element of the team that they really missed, that focal point in attack. Um so I'd say Chelsea for me are just ahead of City. And then, I mean, Manchester United have obviously bought two excellent players, Sancho and Varane, I would think are going to definitely improve Man United. My concern for United remains in the in the centre midfield. I don't think the, the, the sort of the balance is still quite right there. Uh, maybe balance is the wrong word, just the level of quality. I, I'm just not sure whether the balance across the team is, is quite there. So that... That, for me, puts Liverpool just ahead of United. Uh, just. I mean, I, I think that Liverpool would have finished ahead of United last season. Had Van Dijk been fit all season, there's no doubt about that for me. So I'd say, I'd say in that order at the moment, top four. Um, that could change over the course of the next few weeks, depending on whether United get a get somebody in in the middle of the park. It doesn't look like they're going to try. I haven't heard any seen any reports of that. Um, but I, I just think, it goes back to what I said before, I think Liverpool needs another forward player just to make sure that in that January period, they've got a player who, who's used to what Jürgen Klopp demands um, and is, is ready to play in that period because it's such a tough period, January. Um, even when Liverpool sort of, the season when they won the league, it, it was it was still hard, you know. So if they don't, if they don't get that right, that's, that's where it can all unravel very quickly for any team. So you're both saying it would be a big ask for Liverpool to win the Premier League, but no, but not impossible. Now, on that front, maybe it's the extra signings, as you're saying, Simon. And it's also that bit of luck with injuries. Already, we've got an issue. Andy Robertson, he's he's confirmed he's got some ligament damage. He's probably going to be out till what, after, after the international break. James, you, you broke this story. Um, it didn't look a... 
It didn't look good, did it, if you watch it in slow motion, the way he went over on his ankle against Athletic Bilbao? No, no and I think, I think that's why Klopp was right when he said after the game against Osasuna that they, they feel like they got lucky with the with the the, the verdict from the scan results because it, it did look horrible. And I know initially there were some fears about a fracture. So the fact that it's only minor ligament damage and I was told that they're looking at weeks rather than months, um, I, I think has to be regarded as positive. I think um, I think he'll miss pretty much guaranteed that those first three games before the international break. And then um, I'm sure he'll be doing everything he possibly can to to be fit for for just after. Um, so I think, yeah, of course, it's a setback. I think, you know, Robertson hasn't missed a Premier League game since, I think it was just after football restarted, after the first lockdown at, at Goodison in June 2020. But what I would say in a pre-season when a host of players on the fringes of the squad have, have really put their hand up and staked to claim, you know, near the top of the list, you would have Costa Simicus because uh, after a pretty torrid first season at Liverpool um, when there was all kinds of mitigating circumstances for that from from catching Covid early on to thigh and knee injuries to get trying to get his head around what Klopp wanted from him tactically um, you know only six minutes of Premier League football to his name last season but he, he looks a, li- a different player this time around and um, I, I don't it's not an area I'm really concerned about going into Saturday I think um you know, probably Klopp's probably got some big decisions to make for the starting lineup at Norwich in other areas of the team. But um, I, I think he'd be pretty confident that Simicus is now up to speed and, and ready to fill that void. Yeah, he looked terrific against Osasuna. Wonderful link-up play with Roberto Firmino. Some of some of his crossing, James, was just exceptional. The sort of stuff that if you're a centre forward in the box, that's what you're after. Yeah, I mean, it, I think the you know the biggest compliment you could play him, pay him is probably that it was Robertson esque, the, the way in which he rampaged forward and yeah, he whipped in some some really quality deliveries. I mean, the yeah, the, the goal that he created for for Firmino um, was just brilliantly worked, wasn't it? You know, the one two he played with, with with Minamino and then you know a striker's dream that ball in towards the the near post. There was another ball he played. I think it was early in the second half for for Minamino over the top. With the outside of his boot, which was <laughs> it, it was absolutely you know had forty odd thousand inside Anfield purring, it was it was that good. I think I think if there is any remaining question marks, it's probably a little bit defensively. Um, you know, I, I, but you know, I, I just think you know when we've seen players fill in at left back previously, you know, of course James Milner when he's played there, you always feel as if Liverpool can't quite be the the same force that you you want them to be because. They rely so much on their fullbacks to attack, and I think the great thing going into the start of the season is, despite no Robertson, Liverpool do have a left back there who who can give them a lot of the things that they're used to having from their left back. I was just thinking on Andy Robertson's side. I know James mentioned he, you know, he barely misses a, a match, does he? But you never ever see him leave the field either. You never see him stay down injured. That, that's why it was so almost bizarre to see him go off with that sort of injury. Well, I think the only time that's happened previously was Barcelona, wasn't it? You know, um, when he when he tried to carry on and and you know it was quite clear that that he was going to be unable to. I think, um, but yeah, it was it was unusual. And just just to touch on what James said there, I mean, I think 
you know, I know obviously Andy Robertson gets huge amounts of praise for sort of his his role in the Liverpool team and his developments, but I sometimes think, you know, I think it's almost underestimated just how difficult it is to come in and pretty much replicate what he does. You know, it's not, it's not just from an attacking sense, it's, it's his defensive capabilities as well. Very, very little gets past him. So as much as he's going to be judged by, his, uh, as much as Simicast is going to be judged by what he does going forward, you know, if there's any defensive weakness, we've seen in the past how teams try and, look for any any chink of light against Liverpool. You know, they tried to lay a bit on Trent in the past, you know, and I, I think he's very good defensively. I think it's a bit of a misconception and it's also something that maybe dates back to when he was at 18, really. I think he's improved a lot in, in that side of his game. But if, if he is, if he, if he does have some sorts of defensive weaknesses, I think over a couple of weeks, that'll probably get point pinpointed by other teams. You know, Liverpool have got some... Strong opposition coming in, you know, Chelsea at the end of the month and, and you know, into, into September when the Champions League game starts as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that. But I was encouraged by what I saw because, well, I mean, we haven't got much to base it against, have we, after last season? I mean, uh, my, my sort of view on him is, is based on what he did for Olympiacos in a game against Wolves at the moment when he when he looked really, really exciting going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, he needs to step up. Otherwise, there was no point in spending all that money um, on him. He looked to me to have the physique of a Premier League player and the athleticism of a Premier League player. So, um, so we'll see. But I just think that, that you know it's going to be a big step up for him. But you know, the first two the first two games are probably the two shorter games that you'd want in terms of you know. I don't want to dismiss sort of the the, the abilities of the opponents, but but obviously Norwich. They're not as in good, even as they've obviously let a couple of, or they certainly let one of their best players leave uh, over the course of the summer. If, you, if you're choosing an away tie, you probably want Norwich, wouldn't you? If, if we're being totally honest in the Premier League, and then Burnley at home. I mean, I think Liverpool will want to to put a lot of things right from the wrongs of last season against them as well. So first home game in front of Anfield, so he'll get lots of support in that as well. The left back, I think. So. Yeah, fascinated to see how he does because it's a massive step up. And Andy Robertson, for me now, you know, I think there's only maybe what he's in keeping with the top, top two or three, four left backs in the world, without a doubt. Absolutely, and they do start, of course, against Norwich, the team they started against two years ago when they won four 0 and went on to win the title. Of course, um, talking about physiques, what about Ibrahima Kanate, James? And what, what, what? I mean, I can't believe he's 22 years old. This lad. And without going too far, he's, he just looks almost so composed on the ball. He's got a bit, bit of Van Dyke in him, hasn't he? The way he sort of saunters forward with it, lays brilliant passes off, starts moves. And then, then at moments in the game against Osasuna, you saw him up in the opposition penalty area, almost begging the question, is he going to be a, a goal-scoring centre-half as well? Yeah, I, I think you, every time I see him play, in pre-season, you, uh, you you just see more and more of why why he was the priority for Liverpool this summer. I think um, he just looks every inch a Liverpool centre-half, doesn't he, in terms of what we know that Klopp and his staff look for in terms of, you know, yes, stature and, and strength and power, but also, you know, that recovery speed, which is so important when you're playing a high defensive line. Um and as you know, there was a, there was a great moment, wasn't it? I think it was early in the second half when I think I think the ball initially got away away from him, but you know, for a mixture of skill and perseverance and 
strength. He got it back and ended up doing about three or four pirouettes to get himself to get himself out of a spot of bother. Um, so yeah, it, you know, again, I think massively helpful for him being able to have like a really proper pre-season and also that intensive time away where, you know, I'm sure he does, he does feel like one of the group now. And, you know, it's, I mean, we know it's a very welcoming environment for for new players. And then, you know, I, th I think you can see that both on and off the pitch, he's, he's slotted him very quickly. And it, it's going to be fascinating to see what combination Klopp goes with on, on Saturday against Norwich, because, I've always been convinced during pre-season that when the serious stuff started, we'd see Kanate and Matip as the as the centre-back combination because I just thought you know it was going to come too soon for Van Dijk. But then obviously you see Van Dijk play what the what seventy odd minutes I think he played against Bilbao on on Sunday. So um, you know I think I think it's a difficult one to call at the moment. Whether you know is, is it Van Dijk and Matip or is it Kanate and Matip? Um, you know, you'd have to say Joe Gomez played incredibly well against us as soon as, as as well. So it's yeah, when when you think that was an area of such concern a few months into last season, now you know it's it's almost an embarrassment of riches for Klopp at centre half, and um, it's going to be intriguing to see who gets the chance to to get the serious stuff underway. It, it, maybe it wouldn't be a surprise to see Virgil Van Dijk. I, I was doing LFC TV last night, and and Jan Molby was saying, "Well, actually, if you if you're Virgil, you need some proper minutes under your belt. I mean, how else can you? You know, there's no point in just going through training all the time. So maybe the managers got the mindset of, well, you know, give them as much time as possible in a proper Premier League game from the start of the campaign. Yeah, that 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 may well that, that may well be the case. I think I think. It, it's it's just that tricky one, isn't it? Isn't it in terms of I still feel there is a difference between friendly stuff and you know and 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 the heat of of Premier League battle. It is a it is a step up, and you know I, it's just it, it, as has he got enough football under his belt to start on Saturday, considering what was he out for for ten months? But you, you're you're right. The, the the thing is then that you know. Does he really? Then you then you're in the realms of well, we know that Liverpool are a stronger team with Virgil Van Dijk in it, and it does he really need another week? Is is another week going to make that much difference? And and also you could also make an argument that even if Van Dijk's only running at 75, 80 percent, that still makes him head and shoulders above most most other fellow centre backs. So um, so yeah, it's um, he, he's got some big decisions to make, Klopp, but it's they're nice decisions, aren't they? I think um, you know even when you look at the you know, I think you'd be a brave man to try and get right the balance of the midfield for Saturday because, you know, I think Fabino has to come in, doesn't he? Having, you know, yes, he came back from pre-season late due to Brazil duties, but, you know, I think he has to he has to play. Cater, you'd have to say, has to start having had a really good pre-season. And then, you know, will it be James Milner? I think probably Saturday will come too soon for for Henderson or Thiago, as good as it was to see them make their first outings of preseason on Monday night, um, or rather than Milner, will he go the other way and and play Harvey Elliott, who um, I'm sure will come on to who have been the stars of preseason, Steve. But I think you definitely have Harvey Elliott right up there. I think it's great the way all of a sudden, and you mentioned it at the start, and Cy, we two preseason games back to back, and it was very much. Build, I think, after everyone saw the lineup on Sunday, that that was almost the A team and Monday would be the B team. But I think 
Monday's game sort of completely confounded that because I think that's just thrown up loads of questions, Sai, hasn't it, as to who should actually start at the weekend. A great example being Jota scoring on Sunday and then Firmino's clearly got a bit between his teeth and the way he scored and celebrated shows that he's not giving his place up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, when I saw the team on Sunday, I I was at the game against Bilbao on Sunday and I, I thought that that, Team selection was his obviously first choice goalkeeper, defence and forward line, with the question marks more around the midfield. Um, obviously, the standout player in, in that game, in the in the game against Bilbao, was Harvey Elliott. And I mean, I, I know I've spoken to a few people at Blackburn when he was there, and they just said, you know, sort of how how ta- not just how talented he was, but just how professional he was as well, and how dedicated. Um, be the first one in, last one out, training, you know, willing to learn, mucked in with the sort of senior players there. You know, the senior players sort of respected his, his, his sort of dedication in training. You know, he, he certainly wasn't, you know, sort of somebody who thought, well, I'm from Liverpool, I can just stroll in here and get into the team. He worked hard when he was there to prove himself to everybody. I think that's always a good sign of you. Um, well, whichever club you play for, particularly for Liverpool, you know, under Jurgen Klopp. Um, so I, I, it was a really encouraging performance from him. I mean, 18 years old, he was just always looking to do, try and make something happen. Reminded me a little bit, you know, sort of if Shakiri when he first came in, I'm not sure whether Shakiri is able to do that anymore. You know, he's a different stage of his career now, but always looking to try and do something, you know, get a shot away make that killer pass. I mean, the pass that he put through to um, to Salah, uh, where Salah just just about, could, well, he couldn't score. It, you know, it was a sublime pass. So, clearly, Jan Klopp sees him as a player who could play a number of positions as well, which I think is very, very important for Liverpool. You know, play anywhere across the front line, I suspect, off the right mainly, and then in midfield as well, to, to more towards the left of midfield. So, very, very, um, very good defensively as well. Actually, that was another thing that really impressed me. You know, sort of he got back into position and gave his left back cover. Although, actually, I think Bilbao did get a fair amount of joy down that side. It wasn't necessarily down to the lack of the fact that Robertson wasn't getting the cover that he needed. I think it was more down to actually <laughs> Robertson and Van Dyke being a bit behind, you know, in terms of the game time. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that Liverpool do have a very a much bigger squad than I think people realise, but I do think that they need to let one or two of those players go. I think Shakiri is going to be the first one, possibly Origi as well. I think Origi as well for me. And as I say, if they get rid of those two players, I think there should, in theory, be the room to go and get, you know, the sort of player that can make the difference at the top end of the pitch. You know, when, as I've said before, Salah and Mane aren't going to be available halfway through the season. You, you know, a player who I wouldn't get rid of now, and I think he personally, I think he's done enough, is, is Takumi Minamino, James. And um, I, I looked at his performance against Osasuna. I just thought he, he just adds a, a different dimension. Maybe it's just taken him much longer to settle in, to, to understand the club, understand his, you know, what he should be doing within the side. But there's a player there, isn't there, that can add something to that Liverpool squad. Yeah, 100%. And especially, I think, in a season, as Simon touched on earlier, when you you know you're going to be losing Salah and Marnie to the Africa Cup of Nations for potentially a month, the you know, depth in that department is going to be absolutely key. And, that, yeah, I, I think we've seen some really important steps forward from Minamino. Um, 
I, I felt sorry for him actually in his first kind of year at the club because I think that the timing was so tough for him, wasn't it? You know, he, he literally arrived in a, you know, a, a new country, new language, new culture, new style of play. And then, you know, what was it within, it could only have been seven or eight weeks we're in lockdown. You know, he's, you know, and he was, he was living over here on his own. Um, you know, and I know that the club did everything they possibly can, could to, to help him out and make sure he didn't feel isolated. But that, that's tough at a time when, you know, you, you, you're trying to settle in a in a new city. Um, and then, of course, you know, you know he, he, he struggled to force his way in. He didn't get the game time. He went out on loan. And I always thought if, you know, I, I wondered whether we'd seen the last of him when he went on loan to Southampton. Um and, and I thought, you know, that, that would have been tough for him, I think, because I think if that was the end of his Liverpool career, I think quite rightly he would have thought, you know, I, I never really got the chance to show what I could do. You know, the cards were just stacked against him. So I, I, I like the fact that, you know, probably I, I'd say also there's an element of there weren't any suitable bids on the table. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I think clearly he, he came back this summer in, in the mood to, to prove to Klopp he should be part of his plans this season. And I think he's achieved that. Um, I don't see him being a regular starter. I think that's, you know, it's just, it's just not realistic when you look at the calibre of the players he's trying to force his way ahead of. But, um, you know, he could be a really, really, really useful squad player. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is what we've got planned for you across the Athletic Podcast Network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General, giving you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. You look at the signings that the other teams have made, and Simon, you said before you thought Chelsea might be contenders for the title. So Chelsea signing Romelu Lukaku, United spending on Sancho, City securing Grealish and maybe Kane, but maybe not. Maybe Liverpool not keeping up with the Joneses. Does it necessarily matter? Um, when they won the Champions League, they didn't sign anyone big, went on to win the Premier League. Is it, is it a different kettle of fish now? Well, it, it does matter because obviously the players that they have are older now. So it's not just about this season, it's about future seasons as well. You know, they, they have to think about that and, and how, well, I'm sure they are thinking about that, you know, that 
obviously when Liverpool sign a player, um, they don't do sort of short-term options, really. It's, it's always with a long-term view, with the confidence that that player is going to be a success. So, you know, it, t- it takes, as I mentioned before, it takes time for any player to sort of adjust to what Jürgen Klopp's demands are as well. So, whereas, obviously, they didn't sign anybody after the Champions League, I, I still actually think, you know, I know they won the league the following season, but I think that was a little bit of a mistake by Liverpool, you know, in terms of, I know you can't sort of foresee what's going to happen 18 months later, but, you know, it it, it was quite clear ultimately that they were going to sell, you know, they, they, they were willing to sell Dejan Lovren that summer, for example, he was up for sale. They didn't quite get the offer that they wanted for him. I think if they, they get the offer that they want for him at that time, they then get in another centre-half, which then sort of potentially might ease some of the problems that they eventually had, if this makes sense. I know there's a lot of things that happen in, in the meantime, but I just think when, you, when you've just won the Champions League, your stock is never higher. So I was, I was surprised at the time when they, they didn't buy anybody that summer. Um, I don't think you can always necessarily judge yourself against what the opposition are doing. It's always about what's right for you, really. Um I'm sure this comes on to the conversation, you know, about contracts and stuff like that, you know, with with Alison Becker and and Fabinho signing new contracts. I think people are a little bit sort of cynical now of of when Liverpool Liverpool agreed terms with with, with players, that, that their own players, you know, what does it really count for? Well, I think it is different this time because if you look at, say, when Coutinho renewed his contract and when his age at the time, he was 24, signed a, a five-year contract, which would have took him to when he was 29. Um, and then, obviously, you know, quite soon he left. The same situation with Suarez a few years earlier. He, I think he was 26 when he signed a new five-year contract in, in December 2013 and then, and then left the following summer. The players that Liverpool have just signed contracts with in terms of Alisson Becker and Fabinho, basically those players are committing their... You know, their most experienced, in theory, best years to Liverpool now. So it's not like they're going to lose when they lose that player, their best years are going to be behind them essentially now. So um, I think it is different in that sense. I think that if, if you're signing players to new contracts at the end, at the age of 27, 28, that's always a positive thing. So for Liverpool, you know, that, that's really, really important that those players are staying, that they're keeping the players for the best years. I mean, you can argue either way about Wijnaldum, whether whether Liverpool were right to to let him to let him go. I think Jordan Henderson's a different discussion because, I mean, I, I'm far from one to to sort of support the club's stance on 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 everything. I've got, I've got to be honest, but particularly on this issue, I mean, Henderson's contract runs out when he's 33 at the moment. So, you know, Liverpool really sort of hold all the cards here, and I can understand why Liverpool. Would be reluctant to sort of go and pay big money for him at this at this time. When if he wants to stay and stick around, then you know he's gonna. That's going to take him up to the age of thirty three. They let Gerard, Stephen Gerrard go when he was thirty four, uh, who's arguably the club's greatest player. I mean, I understand that you know skill sets and sort of um, levels of endurance might be different, but uh, I think the conversation about Henderson is slightly different to Ryan Alden. I think there's more of a reasonable argument actually to have kept Juan Aldum over Henderson at this time. Although, I think Henderson, that is not to say, I think Jordan Henderson has been amazing football for Liverpool. And personally, if it was up to me, I would I would want him to stay at Liverpool for the rest of his career. But I can understand the club's sort of reluctance to sort of enter um, 
enter the conversation two months, two years before a player ends his deal at the age of 33. Or at least I can understand. I, I feel that if Jordan's thinking that they should be prioritising him over somebody like Trent or Alison Becker or Fabinho, it's understandable those players are being dealt with more enthusiastically because of their age. It's just as simple as that. Football's a ruthless game, unfortunately. Of course, the key is from Liverpool, they will be judged on how they replace Jordan Henderson and how what they do from here to negate his, his eventual departure because it will come at some point. So they, they, they need to see that. They, need, they are obviously always looking two or three years into the future. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what Liverpool do. Um, because they, they, you know, I don't think he's an easy, not just an easy player to replace, but he's not an easy personality to replace as well. Well, he's he, he's not, and he's he's so huge now, isn't he, James? We saw it when he came out onto the touchline yesterday, just swigged some water. It was, it was possibly the reception of the night, wasn't it? You, you could see how much affection and love there is for the Liverpool skipper. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think what was that? His first first time he graced Anfield. For what six months since he since he, he limped out of the of the Merseyside derby and, and needed groin surgery. So um, yeah, fantastic to see him back out there. As Simon said, I can it you know without wanting to get splitters that you know I can see it from I can see it from both sides in terms of I, I can understand why Jordan Henderson after ten years giving absolutely everything for the club feels a little bit aggrieved that there isn't a better offer on the table currently. But as Simon said. You know, you know, when when a player gets gets past thirty, you know, the this the reality is you make business decisions where you have to try and take the emotion out of it. And um, I still hope it. You know, it's still, I, you know, he, he still only just entered the last two years of his deal. So I think, you know, I, I still hope that something can be sorted out because, you know, the same as Simon, I I want to see Jordan Henderson finish his career at Liverpool. I think I think that's what he wants, uh, and hopefully. That, that agreement can be sorted because for him it's not you know it's not a financial thing it's more he wants to feel wanted by the club and and feel that they still see him as being really important beyond the age of 33 which um which you know certainly I think with the way that he leads his life I can you know I can see him still being an elite midfielder for a few years beyond that so um so yeah, you know, positive news on the contract front. With you know, in the last week, with you know, with with Allison and Fabino putting pen to paper, and you know, I think the next ones clearly will be Virgil and and, and Mo Salah and Sadio in terms of priorities for the club. In in terms of trying to get these, you know, these these top performers nailed down for for, for the for the best times of their career. But why is that a drip feed, James? Is it? Is it, is it a PR exercise from the club or is it simply because it's taking longer with some of those other players? Yeah, I, I think it's more, it's bound to take longer with some than others. I think, um, I don't think it was any great surprise that, that Trent was the first one to be announced because I think, you know, we know that, you know, Trent, it was, I think it was a very straightforward negotiation for for, for all parties. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's just, just, the reality is some will take take longer than others but um but no and you know it's it's probably a bit of an unseen cost as well i think probably that um you know, obviously there's so much focus on you know net spend and you know that you know where's the money and all the rest of it well you know the hits that this this involves a huge financial commitment 
um, getting these players tied down for the coming years. Because, of course, you know, they all want Im improved terms. And, and, and for these players, especially at the age that a lot of these players are at, they know that this is this is realistically their kind of their last real big contract, you know, especially for those ones that that are in their late 20s. There's so much we could talk about on this podcast. There's literally too much at the moment. I'm Again, I'm, I'm going to turn the corner and I'm thinking young players. We saw Cade Gordon, 16 years old. I'm not sure whether youth matters anymore. I mean, how fast is that lad and how confident and up for the fight as well? Um, but then you just saw a host of other youngsters in the last two days brought out by by Jurgen Klopp. And you, and you feel that the academy is doing its job and that the future looks bright on that front. So I'm sure there's plenty of those names that we'll pick out in the weeks to come on, on the Red Agenda. I want to slightly turn a corner because I know Simon will want to talk about the ticketing system that was introduced uh, and the pictures of the lines of fans down Walton Breck Road. And look, I suppose if anything, Simon, it, the club had to have these sort of test days where they were, they, they could iron out the problems. Now, clearly there has been some issues regarding how this new ticketing system works. I don't have it on my phone. I don't understand how it works. I've heard lots of different stories about how complicated it, it could be. Hopefully, fingers crossed, they've got this sorted for the start of the season. Well, I said to, I think I said to James yesterday, I mean, part of the problem with Liverpool is they never get stuff right the first time around, do they? With anything, really. I mean, I know it's been very critical, but they get a lot wrong when they try and do something new. You know, telling us how great it's going to be, and it never—it always seems to go wrong at launch. Get it right later, of course, but by then the sort of the, the appetite for it and the goodwill, any goodwill has been lost. I mean, I, I, on Sunday, I would, what's 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 wrong with the system? What what have your sources told you? Si? Well, people just don't know how to use it. First. I mean, I, I understand that they've had they've had they've had um, obviously test days and stuff like that. I mean, my, my personal view is it, we just in theory, coming out of a pandemic, making big changes to the way you're getting in the ground at this time. And I just don't necessarily think it's the time to do it, you know, when people are just sort of keen to be returning to normality and then the, the change in it again. I understand the reasons behind it, but I just feel that, you know, at this time, you know, just make things as simple as possible for people to get in the ground. And I was I was there on Sunday and I was shocked, to be honest. I mean, I... I I was there uh, on a ticket. I wasn't in the press box. And, uh, you know, it wasn't for a, a want of, you know, there's a lot of people who were doing what they were asked to do, turning up very early. Um, I was, friend friend of mine suggested going in the ground 50 minutes before kickoff. And because we were on paper tickets, we were able to get in. Outside the cop, the queue at that point was already going all the way down Walton Breck Road. It was it was pretty shocking, really. So they, they, they must there was a lot of people already trying to get in the ground, um, you know, doing as they were told. But the system just wasn't working. So yeah, I mean, they can't afford for it to happen at a Premier League game. Put it that way. The pressure is really, really going to be on because particularly if it's a televised fixture, the first home game against Burnley, I think twelve thirty kickoff televised. They can't afford for it to go wrong and delay the kickoff because of the TV money and the TV the, the TV aren't going to wait for Liverpool. They'll just kick off. And that will then create a massive storm amongst the fan base, you know, again, reminding the TV comes first and the fans come second. So it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of weeks to see what they do. Um, I just feel, as I said, it was a bit short-sighted to think you've got two 
home friendly matches to test this on for the first time after people haven't really been inside the ground in those numbers for 18 months. Um, I'm sure they'll get it right eventually, but it's just when, you know, the, 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 when is the time right to do it? I know they've had test days and asking people to go down, but you're asking people to go down in their own spare time as well. You know, it, it's not so easy to do that, particularly in the middle of a pandemic. Um, you know, it's, it's not been easy to do that for people to take, you're asking people to take time off work to go and help the club out, install this thing. I just don't think that that's necessarily fair. So they have, for me, this is on the club. The club have to make sure they're making a big change um, to the way people enter the ground. Then they have to make sure that their end is right. Not, not you know, the fans, there's absolutely no blame attached to the fans on this. They were there in big numbers in good time and it didn't work. As you say, let's hope it's it's sorted out. Um, the positive side, obviously, fans being in the stadium, James, that, it was just brilliant, wasn't it? <laughs> the goals, the celebrations, the, the cheers for the manager, just everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it didn't, they didn't, neither game felt like a preseason friendly, did it? Atmosphere wise. I think everyone was just so buzzing to be back inside there after. After so long, and I, and I think from the quality of the football as well, you could see that the players fed off that that energy from the stands um, because you know Liverpool did play some some fantastic stuff. So um, so yeah, I think that's another factor for this season. Um, you know, we talked about it so many times, didn't we? Just how soulless football behind closed doors was. You know, you know we understand why the the show had to go on, but it wasn't. It wasn't football as we all know it to be. And um, yeah, that's that's a massive bonus for Liverpool this season as well. You know, there's, you know, Anfield, you know, I'm very, very confident will become a fortress again, which, you know, of course, when the wheels came off in the second half of last season, you know, it was it was anything but back then when those those seats were empty. Are you at Norwich at the weekend, James? I hope so. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm planning to make the trip. I'm planning to make the trip. I'm just waiting for confirmation in terms of press passes and all the rest of it. James, uh, you, you better set off. That's about right size. And if he sets off around now, he might get there for the, for the weekend. Poor yeah, lad. No, no one's James is driving. <laughs> Drives like a 19-year-old. <laughs> didn't, didn't see Simon putting his hand up for Norwich. <laughs> oh, you watch Norwich? That's the one we all want, isn't it? That list of Norwich, Crystal Palace or West Ham away. Keep them, keep them away from yourselves. Look, lads, thank you very much indeed. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the Red Agenda today. Of course, it's back every week. And the Red Agenda Extra. So we'll be doing an extra one uh, each week, which will focus more on a feature. So we're going to dive, delve deep into the academy with uh, Kiva a little bit later on the week. So check out uh, that podcast when it comes out. Thanks to James Pierce, Simon Hughes. Check out all their wonderful articles on The Athletic. And we'll see you next time on The Red Agenda. <laughs>